All right, if you've got your Bibles, and I hope you do, you can follow along with us. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 27, and we're back in Matthew, and we should be able to finish this out uh, pretty quickly over the next month or so, and we'll move on after about four years in Matthew. But today we're going to be in Matthew 27, looking at verses 50 to 56, and we come to, we've looked at the death, all that Jesus said while he was dying on the cross. Last week he gave up the ghost, and uh, today I want to look at what happened the moment Jesus died. This is... Uh, the, the moment he gives up the ghost, this is the, the, the moment of his death. Uh, I would say, and I wrote this down, the, the most unforgettable moment in all of history. Uh, maybe the most significant death that's ever been died. I would say it is. The most famous death in history. So I want to look at it, and we'll look at these verses, and I want to look at the what happened the very second, the moment that Jesus died. 
I want to see what, what took place. And I, I, there's four remarkable miracles that took place when Jesus died. And I think these are uh, God's exclamation points on His death. Not one, not two, not three, but four miracles the moment Jesus died. So let's stand together. I want to look at these miracles as we look at the moment Jesus died. Starting in verse 50, reading down to verse 56. And the Word of God says in verse 50, And Jesus, when He cried again with a loud voice, He yielded up the ghost. So there's the moment He died. And here's what happens next. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from top, from the top to the bottom. And then the earth did quake and the rocks rent. And the graves were opened. And many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after His resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. And now when the centurion... And they that were with Him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. And many women that were there, beholding from afar, which followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering unto Him, among which was Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Joseph and the mother of Zebedee's children. So this is the moment Jesus died. These six verses. So I'm going to look at these four remarkable miracles that took place when Jesus died. But before we do, let's, let's pray together. Father, I thank You for Your Word. I have total confidence that this is Your Word. These are the very words of God. And as I preach these words, God, I believe there is power in it. I believe there is power in every word from Genesis to Revelation, but I believe as we preach the cross, there is untold power. That people like this centurion are converted at the foot of the cross, at the hearing of the cross, at the seeing of the cross and what Jesus did. So God, as I preach this today, I ask, I beg, I plead that you would use these words, your words, not mine, to convert the hearers. To convince the hearers of the power and the meaning of the cross. We've spent a long time, God, on the cross in the last few weeks. And I think this is the last one we'll preach for a while. And I pray that we would all see what your son was doing when he died. Teach us these things, please. Help me to teach them well. For those who have ears here today, I pray that they would hear what you're saying through your word. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. I read a, a statistic this week that there is something of somewhere of over a thousand religions in the world. I had no idea there were that many uh, thousands of religions that people follow, that people uh, adhere to. And each one of those thousands of religions has a founder, someone who, who started it, a leader, a figure, someone who uh, was very influential, very powerful, who made big claims, uh, who people follow. And every one of those leaders, I looked them up. I didn't look up all a thousand, but I looked up a, a handful of these religions, the major religions of the world, and, and the, the leaders, the ones who started it, the religious figures, every one of these religious figures died normal deaths. I looked it up. I wanted to see what happened when they died. So I went down the list of some of the major religions in, in our world and looked up the, the deaths of their founders. And here they are. I hope you guys don't care. I'm going to give you a couple of them. The founder of Islam was a man named Muhammad. He died after a brief illness. They said he had a, a fever and a headache. And he died in the arms of his third and his favorite wife. We're not sure whether he had COVID or not, but he died of a sickness. They buried him in a mosque and he's still in that mosque today. 
Buddha, you guys have all heard of Buddha. I, th I thought this was fascinating. I didn't know this. He died after eating some bad meat. He died of food poisoning. Uh, he was cremated and his ashes were split up and handed to his followers and, and went all around the world. So he's gone. He's dead. Normal death. Confucius died of natural causes. They said he, he grieved so much after the death of his son that it, it actually killed him. He died of, of natural causes. Joseph Smith, the, the founder of Mormonism, was shot and killed while he was in jail. He's currently today buried in a town in Illinois. And this list could go on and, and on and on and on. All these founders of all these religions died in normal ways, regular ways. Nothing fantastic, nothing remarkable, remarkable nothing spectacular. Every one of these men and, and some women who founded religions all died normal deaths, nothing out of the way. And out of all the religions and in all around the world, only one had a spectacular death. Only one had a remarkable death where God said, I want this one to stand out throughout all time. And that's the death that we're looking at here today. It wasn't Muhammad or Buddha or Confucius or Joseph Smith or uh, Mary Eddie Baker or any religious figure in all the world. It was the death of Jesus Christ. We've seen it here. He died in verse 50. He yielded up the ghost. The word yield, we said it last week, means he, he dismissed his spirit. He said, now is the time to go. The Jews didn't kill him. The Romans didn't kill him. Jesus decided to die. And he gave up the ghost. And in that way, he died differently than anybody who has ever died. He decided to die. And that started, and I want you to see that here. It started a, at that moment. He immediately, instantly when he died, it started a chain reaction of events. I want you to see that. In verse 50, he cried again with a loud voice, and he yielded up the ghost. He decided to die. And behold, pay attention to this. That's what the, the word behold is there for. All eyes on this. See this. And notice that it says, and, over and over and over. <laughs> the veil of the temple it was rent in twain from top to bottom. And the earth did quake. And the graves were opened. And bodies of the saints came out. And they came out of the graves in the resurrection. And the centurion. Over and over and over. This chain reaction of events. In that split second moment when Jesus died, these things happened. The second he gave up the ghost, the second he bowed his head, almost as if he's falling asleep, four miraculous events occurred. Four monumental, phenomenal events took place. And God is putting, I almost titled the sermon this, God's exclamation point on the death of His Son. I, I, I love to type in a text message when I really want to stress something to Steph. I'll put an exclamation point. <laughs> Not a period. Not dot, dot, dot. Exclamation point. Sometimes all caps. <laughs> and if I really want to get something across, you guys get this, I'll put two. And if I really, really, really want to get something across, I'll put three. Steph knows, oh, Josh is serious now. And if I really want to go over the top, I'll put a fourth. God is putting four exclamation points on the death of his son. Muhammad didn't get this. Confucius didn't get this. Buddha didn't get this. Joseph Smith didn't get this. Only Jesus gets these exclamation points. 
God is saying, not one, that's enough. If He'd given us one exclamation point, that'd have been enough. This stands out. If He'd given us two, we'd say, okay, we get it. This death is unlike any death that's ever been died. We get it. Three, we're like, okay, that may be over the top, but we get it. Four is unbelievable. Four exclamation points. God is making sure, and this is the main point of the sermon, that His Son and His death doesn't go unnoticed. People die all the time. People died all the time there. Thousands were crucified then. But this death should not go unnoticed. And today it won't go unnoticed. This is singled out for worldwide importance. This death stands out above every other death that's ever been died. So I want to look at these four exclamation points. And I want to show you what happened the moment Jesus died. So it's not even me trying to come up with points. I've got four miracles here that I want you to look at that happened the moment Jesus died. Number one. I just want to work our way through it. He died in verse 50. He yielded up the ghost. And behold, here's what took place first. Verse 51. A curtain-ripping miracle. It's like as soon as He died, you hear... You with me? Fabric tearing. Loud noise. They're like, what just happened? It says, behold, all eyes on this. The veil that was in the temple... It's torn in two. It's ripped in two. You say, what is, how is that a miracle? That there's a, a curtain in a temple somewhere that now, just out of the blue, from top to bottom, it is ripped. You like my sound effect? Practice it all week long. For this moment. You say, what is this? This would be a large curtain. It says veil. It would be a large curtain in the temple. How large was it? It was huge. It was 30 feet high, 30 feet wide, and 4 inches thick. They say it took 300 priests to carry it. And Josephus, a church historian who lived during this time, said that you would put a horse on one end and another horse on the other, and you'd say, Giddy up! <laughs> yeah! And those horses would take off in the opposite direction, and they couldn't rip it. It was big, it was beautiful, blue, purple, scarlet, hanging on golden hooks. It was as beautiful as any curtain or veil you had ever seen. It was to separate, thick, big curtain, to separate what's on inside from what's on the outside. That was the whole point. It was a barrier between Holy God who's on the inside and sinful man who stays on the outside. It was a barrier to keep us out and to keep God in. Inside the curtain would be the, the Ark of the Covenant which would be the uh, what represents God and His divine presence and, and it kept us from getting into the presence of God and being killed. Think of Genesis chapter 3 when Adam and Eve sinned and God told him to get out of the garden. And he put angels at the front of the garden and shut the gate and they had flaming swords and it was, you better not come back in here. Keep out! Keep away! Exodus 33, when Moses went into Mount Sinai to get the Ten Commandments, they, they, they couldn't go up. They had to stay around the bottom and they were told not even to touch the bottom of the mountain. Separating sinful man from holy God. Do not come up to this mountain. 
And here, God was in the inside, holy. Man was to stay on the outside, sinful, restricted, no trespassers. It wasn't trespassers will be prosecuted. You ever seen those signs? It was trespassers will die. If you were to walk inside that curtain, into the presence of holy God, you'd be killed. No man shall see God and live. This huge curtain was a restriction. One man tried. King Uzziah thought he was a, a, a big wig and he's like, I can go in if I want to go in. Eighty priests tried to stop him from going in. Don't do it! Don't do it! Don't do it! And then he walked. And the moment he walked in, leprosy. Death. Separating holy God from sinful man. The only one who could go in was a high priest once a year. <laughs> You've heard this. He could go in once a year. He'd slip in past that curtain. Made sure he made a sacrifice for himself. Made sure everything went right. They had a bell around his legs. So that as he walked in there, they could hear the bell. And if the bell stopped ringing, he's dropped dead. Pull him out by a rope. Once a year, that high priest would go in. and He'd be so scared. Oh no, I could die in the presence of a holy God. And it showed a great truth. The unapproachability of God. That God is infinitely holy and we are infinitely sinful. We are way too flippant with our views of God. So in that moment, and I had to explain that because now in that moment you had to see the miracle of this. This isn't just some, some curtain. This isn't just some veil. This is what separated man from God. Nobody could go in. And in that moment, Jesus died. And instantly, as soon as He died, from top to bottom, that curtain is now wide open. Can you imagine the people in the temple? They'd never seen in there. It was dark. It was unknown. What's it like in there? And now all those people are looking in. Oh my! It's open! So there's kids trying to run in there. It's all wide open. Anybody can see in. Anybody can go in. You say, what does all this mean? God was doing this. Man couldn't rip that curtain. From top to bottom, it's like God took a piece of paper and just and ripped the curtain wide open for everybody to see. It's a miracle. The invisible hand of God done the unthinkable, the unimaginable. And God was opening up a way saying by the death of Jesus Christ there's no longer a separation. There's no longer a barrier. There's no longer a sign that says keep out. It is wide open and there's a welcome mat at the floor saying come on in. That's what this is doing. Death, Jesus' death opened the door for us to go into the presence of God. Jesus' death granted us access into the presence of God. No more barriers. No more separation. And in that moment, we no longer have any need of, of another sacrifice. He died once and for all so that we all could enter in. We had no more need of a priest. I don't have to go to a priest anymore and say, will you do it for me? The way is open. The priest don't go in. I get to go in. No more temple. I like this. Before that day when Jesus died, it was all everybody coming to Jerusalem where God was. And now as we get to Matthew 28, everybody's leaving Jerusalem to take God, to take the message of God everywhere. This is amazing. No more temple. No more holy place. In the, in a split second, the whole old sacrificial system is over. Jesus accomplished what no other priest could do, what no other sacrifice could do. He opened the way to God. 
It is now not keep out, not stay away, not a no trespassing sign, but a welcome and enter in. Jesus has made a carpet out of a curtain and a bridge out of a barrier. Come the way of salvation. Come. I like that. It's open. Anybody who wants to can now come to Jesus. It's wide open. The way has been made. If you want to come into the presence of God and know Him and worship Him and love Him and pray to Him, all you have to do is to go the way that Jesus made. What a miracle. Everyone can go in. Rich and poor, old and young, men and women, red, yellow, black and white, they can all come to Jesus. What a miracle. Those religious who were very close, the Jews who were right there, the women who were at the court of the women, and those who are far away from God can now enter in. Because Jesus has made a way. This is a fundamental achievement of His death Sin has been defeated. Jesus has opened the way for all of us to come in. What a miracle. Do you get that? Every time you bow your head and pray, and you say, in Jesus' name, you're entering into the presence of God by the way that He made. Every time a sinner comes to be saved, they're entering in the way that Jesus made. Every time you come to worship, you're coming in the way that Jesus made because the curtain was torn in two. This is an amazing miracle. He died not just to get us out of hell. He died to give us a relationship with the one true and living God. But that's not all. That's just miracle number one. <laughs> that's just I mean, that, that would have been good enough. We could have stopped right there. Exclamation point number one. He ripped open the curtain. I mean, that, 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 should, that could have been very good right there. Let's end it, but now he's got more. <laughs> number two. If that is the curtain ripping miracle, I want to show you the earth shaking miracle. It, it happens just, just right after that. I mean, it's, it's at the same time. The veil of the temple was written twain from the top to the bottom and this is at the same time. It's not even one, then the other, then the other, then the other. This is all in that moment. God is saying, boom, right here. Look at this. Curtain torn. I wish I had a sound effect for an earthquake. Rumble, rumble. Because <laughs> look what it says. The earth shaking miracle. Verse 51. And the earth did quake. And the rocks rent. I mean, this is a the ground begins to shake at the foot of the cross. I mean, everybody that's standing around there, the women and the centurion and the soldiers and the Jewish leaders and everybody that was gathered around in that little moment. It says there that the centurion in verse 54 says, and they were with Him watching Jesus. They saw the earthquake. How do you see an earthquake? Usually you feel an earthquake. Rumble, rumble. You see, you know, they were seeing everything shake. They were seeing the rocks fall down. They were seeing this mega earthquake. They were seeing in California, they call it the big ones on the way. It could happen at any time. California is going to go off in the ocean. <laughs> Waiting for the big This was the big one. This was a mega earthquake. This was off the Richter scale. This was a major earthquake where it was noticeable around the cross, around the city. Commentators don't even know how far this earthquake went. The whole 
lot of shaking going on. And this wasn't random. This wasn't a coincidence. This was on purpose. He said, what did this earthquake mean? Why, why is this exclamation point number two? I believe God's shaking the earth. I believe this is God's amen. I, I believe this is God's grabbing people's attention. I believe God is showing that Jesus' death is different than every other death. No other death that's ever been died did the rocks shake when that person died. If one day when I die and I'm in the hospital, I breathe my last, and all of a sudden in that moment, there's an earthquake hit Big Stone, you're going to think, wow, Josh was something different. <laughs> there had been thousands of crucifixions and no earthquakes. People die all the time. No earthquakes. But here, God says, let's shake things up a little bit. I want to get their attention. I want to make sure they understand. And nothing will get your attention like the ground that you think is secure becoming unsecure. When there's a whole lot of shaking going on and everybody's walking around like they're drunk trying to hang on to things and the, and the cross is shaking back and forth. Jesus' head is bowed down and, and, and the rocks are falling and, and the ground is opening up and, and God is saying, pay attention to this death. That's what God does. It's common. God marks important events with earthquakes. He punctuates certain events throughout history with shaking. It's not random, it's intentional. Exodus 19, when Moses went into Mount Sinai, I said that they had to stay at the bottom of the, of the mountain. But in Exodus 19, 18, when God gave the first written word that He'd ever given, writing as if with His finger upon those tablets, and the people were looking up into that mountain, and there was lightning and there was thunder, and verse 18 says, and the mountain quaked violently. Can you imagine the foot of that mountain? As they're looking at the lightning and hearing the thunder and the, the darkness and, and the lights. There's a show going on. Something's going on up there. And then God says, this is something significant. This is something with great meaning. I'm going to shake this mountain so they get it. The Ten Commandments, the law has been given and there's a violent shaking going on. Do you guys know that in the end times, there's going to be a whole lot of shaking going on? Revelation 6, earthquake. Revelation 8, earthquake. Revelation 16, earthquake. So that all the islands and the mountains come crumbling and falling down. They're actually called exceeding great and mighty and strong earthquakes where God is judging the world. Pay attention to this. The world is ending and God is taking the world like it's a snow globe and, and just shaking it. And then here in Matthew 27, the greatest event in history do you think God wants to draw everybody's attention to this? You better believe He does. As His Son gives His last breath, God says, and shakes the earth. Pay attention to this. Let me give you another one. Matthew 28. We'll preach this in a few weeks. It says, In the end of the Sabbath, as the day it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and, and, and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake. Two earthquakes in the same weekend. 
Something's going on. Something's up. God's doing something. What's he doing? His son's dying for the sins of the world. It's a big deal. God's making sure everybody sees it. Look what my son has done. As a kid, I used to hear the thunder. And I remember asking my mom and dad as a kid riding down the road, hearing the thunder, and saying, what is that? And they didn't want us a kid. They didn't want to explain to me the science of it. You know, this is what's going on. So it was God's bowling in heaven. <laughs> rumble, 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 you know. So you know God's doing something, right? That's what you, the thunder, God's doing something. The lightning, God's doing something. The earthquake, God's doing something. I've read this week that when the earthquake hit, I don't know if it's true, but it sounds good. That it was the moment that Jesus crushed the head of Satan and the whole earth shook. That God in that moment, Jesus in that moment was defeating his greatest enemy. And God wasn't bowling, God was crushing. And he put his foot down on the head of that old serpent in Genesis chapter 3. When he said, yeah, he'll bruise his heel, but he'll, he'll stomp his head. And he stomped the head of that serpent. And with one stomp, the earth shook. He defeated sin with the first miracle. He defeated Satan with the second. These are phenomenal miracles. Exclamation points on the death of his son. You want number three? Yeah, you do. Number three, if we've seen the curtain ripping, the earth shaking, let's look at the dead raising miracle. This one... Is a little bit wild. You thought the earthquake was wild? You thought the... I'm going to keep doing it. You thought that was wild? Just wait till you get to this one. This one is wild. It says, just watch with me, the earthquake and the, and the rocks rent. And again, the next thing. I mean, it's just happening at the same time. Graves were opened. <laughs> That's wild. I mean, the, the graves, it's like the cemetery in Jerusalem. All of a sudden, the, the earthquake starts opening up the graves. And it's not so much that they buried them in the ground, but they, they buried them in, in, inside the, the mountains with, with stones being rolled uh, 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 in, front of the ga- uh, in front of the hole. So the, now the earth is quaking and the, and the stones are being rolled away and opening up the way. You see that? The earthquake's shaking the mountains. Opening up the doors. Cemeteries in Jerusalem the, the, are, are being opened. It's a big earthquake. And it says, it would be something if you're like, okay, the earth is quaking. And the, the caskets were open. <laughs> okay, that's one earthquake. That's strong. Where the stones being rolled away. We can look in and we can see dead bodies. I get it. But the stones were rolled away. And, <laughs> and many bodies of the saints which slept. You see that? You know what that is? Some of the saints, which would be believers, not all of them, it's like God elected a few. It's like God was in heaven saying, okay, you're going to go back. I don't know. It's, God has that prerogative. He can do whatever He wants to do. And it's like He's, he's saying, all right, you and, and you. And I say, there's, you know, they say, you know, they wouldn't come back if, if they had the chance. I get it. Those who were in heaven were like, oh, I'd rather stay. 
you go back and you go back and you go back and you're going back. And many, I, I don't know how many, but it says, and many of those who had died, the saints who were believers, these are not unbelievers that, that are coming out, these are, are believers, they're bodies. And you can't deny this. This is it's what it says. Some people say, oh, this is a spiritual thing. No. It says the, the graves were opened. Bodies of the saints which were which slept arose. And they came walking out. Verse 53. Is that not an exclamation point? It didn't happen when nobody else died. This is, this is amazing. Do you think God wants to get every, every eye on this death? Like it's the most important death that's ever died? Because it is. Look at this. Curtain tearing. Earthquaking. Dead raising. So that all these bodies, many of them, we don't know how many. I, I want to say more than one, more than two, many, would be three, I, I don't know, maybe a hundred, I, I don't know. It doesn't say that would be all guessing. But there's a bunch of bodies that were dead are now living. <laughs> and they come walking out. Now let me explain this. You should hear some of the commentators try to explain this. Or explain this away. It's a miracle. Miracles are meant to be impossible. Only God can do this. They look at this and say, well, that's impossible. That's the point. Now watch what it says in verse 53. And they came out of the graves. After. You see this? <laughs> I don't, I don't, I'm just going to explain it the way it says it. When did they come out? It's like they arose and stayed in their tombs. And they didn't come walking out until after Jesus was resurrected on Sunday. And then Jesus led a parade, I'm just thinking parade, of all kinds of resurrected saints behind Him as He has witnesses seeing Him resurrected. And now all of these are resurrected and they go into Jerusalem and they're, and they're talking to people. This is an amazing thing. You see that? They went into the holy city, Jerusalem, and many appeared unto many. What in the world? What does this mean? Let me tell you what it means. God performed a miracle. God did this. God, I mean, how long have those people been dead? Days? Weeks? Months? Years? I read this week. <laughs> I probably shouldn't tell you this, but I'm going to. That Joe, when Joseph Smith died, he was shot, killed while he's in jail. They buried him. And it was just a few years later, they were afraid somebody was going to steal his body, so they dug him up again and put him in a different place. And they said, when they dug him up, that his body had decayed to the point where it was unrecognizable as any body. I don't know how long these people had been in the tomb. I don't know how decayed their bodies were. But God had performed such a miracle. And you need to get this. I need to get this. What power our God has that He puts decaying bodies back together piece by piece. Ezekiel 37 is, is a, a great point. When it talks about the valley of, of dry bones. You've heard the song, Dim bones, dim bones, dim dry bones. I wrote down the lyrics. 
the toe bone connected to the foot bone. Foot bone connected to the heel bone. Heel bone connected to the ankle bone. I'm like Johnny. Am I going to keep going? Yeah, I am. <laughs> the leg bone connected to the knee bone. The knee bone connected to the thigh bone. The thigh bone connected to the hip bone. I'm not Johnny. I'm stopping. <laughs> and then it says, Hear the word of the Lord. Dim bones, dim bones, dim dry bones. Talking about Ezekiel 37. That there's all these, it's, it's like a cemetery out there. And there are all these bodies that have been spread out in the war. And, and, and they're just spread out everywhere. And it's nothing but, but bones. There's, there's no skin. There's no muscle. There's, no, there's nothing there. And then all of a sudden, at the word of the Lord, the graves start shaking. And all these bones start connecting. And, and muscle and tissue and skin. And everybody comes back to life. Oh, at the word of the Lord. Wow. What power! He does that here. I don't know. I don't know what kind of bodies they were, but this is a foreshadowing of what He will do in the future. Yes. Do you get that? He doesn't just save our souls, and He does. Don't you love that He saves our souls? That the death of Jesus brings life to my dead soul. Ephesians two: You who were dead in your trespasses and sins. Hath He quickened and given life, which means He he breathes life into our dead souls. Now that's a miracle. That I was dead. And He breathed life by His Spirit and by His Word so that the moment of, of, of salvation, there's life in my dead soul now. The death of Jesus accomplished the life in our salvation. That's spiritual life. But in the future, and that's my soul. My soul will be saved. My soul is saved. And when I die, my soul will go into your hands. I commend my spirit. My spirit will go with Him, absent from this body, present with the Lord. And my body will go into a grave. And they'll shut it. And they'll lower it. And they'll pour dirt on it. And I will be there until the Word of the Lord says so. And one day, one day, he's going to call all his sleeping saints home. And them bones, them bones, them dry bones. <laughs> the ankle bone connected to the, what was it? Leg bone. Leg bone connected to the knee bone. Knee bone connected to the thigh bone. Thigh bone connected to the hip bone. And at the word of the Lord, graves will start rumbling. You with me? It'll be like an earthquake. Revelation. Everything start rumbling. Rumbling. People looking around. Something big is happening. And Jesus will lead the parade of the resurrected saints when my spirit will meet my body and it'll be a glorified resurrected body. What a miracle that'll be. It won't be like this body. Turning gray and starting to hurt. Can't see like I used to. I still see good. Can't see like I used to. I could spot a quarter and a four years ago. Now I can barely see Roger. Our bodies get old. They decay. They fall apart. They go on the ground and they begin to just fade away. But one day, them bones, them bones, them dry bones are going to be raised by the Lord Jesus Christ. 
What power. What a miracle. That he breathes life back into our old dead bodies. I love that He breathes life into our dead spiritual lives. Don't you love that? I pray that every single week. There's people that could come in here every single week that are dead in their trespasses and sins. And what can a dead man do? Nothing. And it takes the power of God to bring life into them. And you preach the cross. And you preach Christ. And by His Spirit and through His Word, it's like his, the Spirit of God is blowing across the church and bringing life into dead men's souls. God, by Your Spirit, move. And there's a shaking going on inside your body. Your soul is being saved. We don't know what goes on in that moment. We know it's the power of God and the salvation. John chapter 3, what must I do to be saved? You must be born again. How can I be born again? Can I go back up into my mother's womb and come out again? You have no idea, Nicodemus, what you're talking about. It takes a, a mighty work of God to save a soul. Wow. And that life that He gives. And don't you got to see this? As Jesus is dying... He's bringing life to our dead souls, to dead bodies, and giving us eternal life on and on and on. All because Jesus died. We will live forever because Christ died. Get this, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. Whoa, what a miracle. In the first miracle, sin was defeated so that we now as sinners can go into the very presence of Almighty and infinitely holy God. Sin was defeated. In miracle number two, Satan was defeated as he took the, the heel of his shoe and the earth did shake. Miracle number three, death was defeated as bodies were raised to life. And that leads to the final miracle. You ready for one more? God's putting exclamation point after exclamation point after exclamation point and He says, one more. And here it is. The eye-opening miracle. Look at verse 54. Now in the centurion, this man who would be over 100 soldiers, probably this man was leading the entire crucifixion. This man was either ordering the nails to be put in his hands or he was actually nailing them into his hands. This guy was a former soldier who would be a, a police officer now. This guy would be hardened. He would be cold. He would be uh, I mean, just a rough, tough man. He's standing at the cross. And then there's those with him, it says in verse 54. And when the centurion and they that were with him and down there in verse 55 it says, and there were women standing there too. I, I, I like that. These women never left the scene. They were there at the cross the entire time. And it only got harder as it went. But they stayed when everybody else deserted. They're going to be there at the burial. They'll be there at the resurrection. These women were faithful the entire time. They're all standing there watching and listening to everything that took place. They'd seen it all. They'd seen the darkness. They'd heard his, his, all seven of his sayings. They'd heard the earthquake and, and experienced it. They'd heard the, <sighs> told you. They'd felt the earthquake. They looked around at, at, at graves being open. 
I don't think they saw bodies coming out just yet. That's not happening until Sunday. But they're all sitting there. The, the women, the centurion, those with him, and they're, they're seeing all this as soon as he died. And they're like, that didn't happen when the thief died. And the thief died. That didn't happen last week when we did this. There's something different about this guy. You, you with me? That didn't, and that's why I started the sermon the way I did. That didn't happen when Muhammad died. It didn't happen when Confucius died. It didn't, it didn't happen when Joseph Smith died. It didn't happen when Buddha died of food poisoning. It didn't happen when anybody else died. This guy, this Jewish man, hanging on the cross, bloody and beaten, there's something different about him. That's what the whole world should say. This is what God is doing. Everybody look to Him. This is different. And that's what He's doing here. And it says, as they all looked, what's this? It says they feared greatly. They were scared to death. They were shaken in their sandals. These were, they were terrified. Really, really, really scared. This centurion, again, was a hardened, cruel man, had seen hundreds of deaths, Hundreds of crucifixions, but this one scared him to death. This one was different. There's something about this man and the way he died. And he says, he gets it. If we all get it. You see that? If we would see the curtain ripping, hear it. Feel the earth shaking. See the bodies raising. Say, there's something different about Him. The whole world needs to see this. They need to hear this. He's, he's the only one that this has ever happened. This is different. God is punctuating this. Exclamation points on this death. And He looks at Him and He says, Truly, which is certainly, this is, he's convinced here. Certainly. Truly. His mind is made up. Of what? Look what it says. I, I like the truly. <laughs> he gets it. God is ripping the curtain. God is shaking the earth. God is raising the dead. This man must be the Son of God. That's what's different. He is exactly who he said he was. He said, I and my Father are one. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen my Father. He was crucified for calling himself the Son of God. And at the death, at the earthquake, and the tearing of the, the curtain, and at the raising of the bodies, this centurion, a, a powerful man, hardened, cruel man, scared of nothing, says this man is exactly who he said he was. This man is who the Father said he was. Did Jesus, did, did the Father not say at the baptism of Jesus, this is my beloved Son. Hear, hear him. Was it Peter in Matthew 16? When Jesus said, who do men say that I am? He said, some say you're Isaiah. Some say you're just all these different opinions. And then Peter said, he said, but who do you say I am? He said, I say you're the cross, the son of the living God. 
And Jesus said, ding, 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 right answer. This centurion gets it. Gets what the whole world should get when they see their... You hear the, the curtain tearing and the earth shaking and the dead raising. Every eye should be looking to Him and saying, truly, this is the Son of God. If we were really paying attention. He's not like us. Right? He's not like anyone else. He is who He said He was. This Jewish man dying on the cross is the very son of the living God. I love this. This is his confession of faith. Romans 10 that says that we must confess, believe in our hearts, and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. This is his Romans 10 moment. He is believed in his heart. Truly, he's convinced. And now, he could have kept it quiet. This is a dangerous time for him to do that. Jewish leaders over here. Roman leaders over here. A centurion is a leader over a hundred. A century. It's a hundred. There's a hundred hardened, hardened soldiers around him. All of them against Jesus. And he stands there. Maybe he was the one nailing his hands into the cross. He was the one telling them what to do. He was the one making fun. And now he says... This man. Imagine how much trouble he'd get into for this. You know what those soldiers had to do? Roman soldiers, you know what they had to do? They had to confess Caesar is Lord. That's what they had to do. Caesar is curious. He is Lord. They had to bow the knee to, to Caesar. And now in front of a hundred men, Jewish leaders, everybody standing around, this guy's Lord. He might not have ever heard of Jesus until that moment, that day. And now seeing the curtain ripping, the earth shaking, the dead raising, this guy's the Son of God. What happened to him? Jesus, when he died, was saving a man at the foot of the cross. And I think this centurion is showing us how you get to enter into the curtain he was a far off Roman Greek far away and now he gets to go all the way in what a moment to say out loud to stand up and to confess to own his faith this man is a son of God 1 Corinthians I think 12 says that no man can say Jesus is the son of God but by the spirit of God this guy's changed. This guy's doing what every one of us is called to do if you want to be saved. You cannot be saved unless you confess Jesus Christ as Lord. And it's getting more and more dangerous in our culture for us to stand up and to do that. But I think every one of us should be able to stand up today in front of a church, especially a friendly church, every one of us in here and say, Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is Lord. One day every... Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Today we do it voluntarily. We do it willingly. We do it lovingly. I love to say it. I wish I could walk around with a t-shirt. I wonder where I could get a t-shirt that says Jesus is Lord. <laughs> I want people to know it. Caesar isn't Lord. The government isn't Lord. 
Educational system isn't Lord. Professors aren't Lord. I'm not Lord. Jesus is Lord. It's time in our culture for us to rise to our feet and to, and to make this confession to the entire world. Jesus is Lord. You can't be saved unless you make that confession. Believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. It's getting harder and harder to get people into the back into the baptistry. This is a friendly time. I mean, if you ain't been baptized, you need to do it. Stand in the baptism and say, "Jesus is Lord, my Lord." But this was his salvation moment. This was an answer to prayer. When Jesus said his first saying on the cross, he said, "Father, forgive them." <laughs> For they know not what they do. And I, I, I think I, I think Jesus is that specific. I, I believe that. That when He said, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do, I believe He had His eyes on the centurion. Because the centurion was the one doing it all. He was ordering it. He was doing it. And I believe Jesus, when He said, Father, forgive them. I do that at the house sometimes. I don't want to name my kids the ones who's in trouble. And I'll say, one of y'all's getting in trouble. Staring a hole through them. I think Jesus was looking at the centurion and saying, Father, forgive him. He doesn't know what he's doing. Nailing me to the cross. Making fun. Wagging his head. Forgive him. And hours later, that same centurion looks up and says, this guy's the Son of God. In answer to his prayer. This hardened sinner. This least likely to get saved. And the moment Jesus dies, His death opens the centurion's eyes. What a miracle. Do you know it's a miracle? It is a miracle of God. Just as powerful as the resurrection of bodies and of the earth shaking and of the curtain tearing when He opens a sinner's eyes to see who He really is. That's a miracle of God. The moment Jesus died, His eyes were opened so He could see. We call that regeneration. His eyes were opened. He sees who He is. He puts His faith in the man on the middle cross. And He's saved. Wow. Out of all the people around the cross, that guy was the least likely. And Jesus loves to save the least likely. I love it. This centurion entered in. This centurion drew nigh. This centurion is now saved and, and, and can go into the presence of, of, of Almighty God. I believe the centurion walked away from the cross as, a, as he would be involved in taking him down and, and putting him in, into, the, into the tomb. I believe he walked away that day, went home maybe to his wife and his kids, and they said, what happened today, centurion? Daddy, maybe. Sweet husband. <laughs> and I believe he said, at the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burden of my soul rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight. And now I am happy all the day. And he might have told his wife. And he might have told his kids. And he might have been there in Acts 2 when the church first began. 
I don't know what happened to the centurion, but I know there was a miracle at the cross where God opened his eyes so he could see who Jesus was. And I believe it's when we preach the cross. I believe this. We preach Christ and Him crucified. That God by His Spirit is opening eyes to see who He is. You say, Josh, why did you preach the cross? I think this is my tenth sermon on the cross. Ten weeks. All summer at the cross. All summer at the foot. All summer listening to His works. Why do you do that? Because I believe God by His Spirit opens eyes to see who He is. And people are saved. And they can walk away singing, At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light. The burden of my heart rolled away. What a miracle. Maybe, possibly, we could argue about it. The greatest miracle out of the four. So what do we do with this? I can't promise you Anything spectacular when you die. I wish I could. When you die, there won't be an earthquake. You won't hear a... Dad won't be raising. Miracles might not be taking place. When we die, me too, it'll probably be boring, regular, normal death. In a hospital room somewhere. Or at home. Surrounded by family. I hope when I die I'm surrounded by Steph holding my hand. I tell her I'm going to go before she does. She says, how do you know that? I said, I'm just so much, so much worse on my body than you are. <laughs> I hope she's holding my hand. I hope I have... Five kids around me. I hope my boys are reading scripture. I hope I'm, I live long enough to see grandkids. I got five kids. I could have thirty <laughs> grandkids. I hope they're all saved. I hope they're all going out into the world like arrows with the gospel. The eye opening, earth shaking, grave opening. Curtain tearing gospel. And I die and I breathe my last breath. There won't be nothing major. I'll get about no bitch worry about that long. And I tell you this, I can promise you this. And when I close my eyes here in death, that five seconds after I open them in heaven, it'll be the most alive I've ever been. And I'll be alive because Jesus died. Amen. That's a death like no other. Yeah. And I can promise you today, if you're here and you're an unbeliever, that there's a welcome mat and there's arms wide open to anyone who wants to come. Yes. If you're here today, how can you turn it down? How can you turn it down? You see who he is. It's obvious. It's clear. I'm not the best preacher, but I can, I can tell you four miracles. And you should look at it and say, this is the Son of God. He is who He said He was. My faith is in Him. If I want to go to heaven when I die, my faith must be in the man on the middle cross. If I want my sins forgiven, it must be in Him. If I want to go to the presence of God, it must be through Him. 
I put my faith in Jesus and Jesus alone for salvation. And you can if you come. He's opened up the way. Come to Christ. I'm going to give you a quote. I'm, I'm done. George Whitfield said this. This is phenomenal. Come. All you liars, come. All you Pharisees, come. All you fornicators, come. All you adulterers, come. All you swearers, come. All you blasphemers, come. Come to Christ and He'll take away all your filth. He will cleanse you from all your pollution. Your sins will be carried away. Come, come my guilty brethren. Come to Christ. I beg you for Christ's sake. I beg you for your very own soul's sake. Come to Christ. Come to Christ. What, what an invitation. All those who come to Him, He will in no wise cast any one of them out. If you come. And you can be saved today. What a message. What a death. All this happened the moment Jesus died. And you can have spiritual life, physical life, and eternal life if you come to Christ. So put your faith in Him today. As you bow your head now, I don't think it would take much more than God forgive me for my sins. My faith is in Jesus Christ who is the Son of the living God. And He'll save you in that moment. Not a doubt in my mind. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Thank You for Your Son and what His death accomplished. We spent ten weeks, God, at the cross, at the cross. And I pray that You've used it to let some see the light and that the burden of their soul has been rolled away. Please, God, use it for that purpose today. There's no doubt someone in here who's an unbeliever and I pray that by your Spirit you would breathe new life into them today. That they would look to your Son and say, that man is who he said he was. And that we would bow the knee to him as Lord. And God, I, I say it in here, I say it now, I say it proudly. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And he is my Lord. And we thank you for that. For the confession of this church and these people. And I look forward to the day that every tongue will confess. And every knee will bow. And we ask and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.